0: Well, hello, White Sox fans. Welcome to another edition of Future Sox Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. I'm joined tonight by managing editor of Future Sox, James Fox. How you doing, James? Hey, Ian. How's it going, man? Going pretty well. Um, so we have a lot of stuff to talk about this week, which is uh, a pleasant change, huh?
1: Yeah, that was quick. It was cr- So full disclosure. Um, Like, waking up my kids from a nap, right? And I have a one-and-a-half-year-old and a a three-year-old. And I get a text from our buddy Elijah Evans. And this is the first I'd seen of it. And he said, a couple of expletives. Why did they trade Christian Mena? And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I need to open up my phone or whatever, like, after I get my kids situated. And then it was not one but two trades. So, you know, I saw the first one, and then I was like, wait, they didn't trade Mena. And then I saw the second tweet right away, and I was like, okay, now I get it a little bit. And then I had a dinner. So, you know, I, I just, it was it was rough timing for me, but, you know, I'm not going to complain too much about two transactions.
0: Yeah, no, I woke up from a nap and I yeah. saw the news. So <laughs> yeah. that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, I mean, there were so many transactions uh, in the last week since uh, we streamed last, since we talked last. So um, I'll just go ahead and drop this one out here first. Uh, you know, obviously inconsequential because uh, Romy Gonzalez was when he was dfa'd for uh john brebbia getting picked up Romy gonzalez has uh been picked up by the red sox so he is now gone um so we won't have uh Romy gonzalez around here to kick around mm. anymore um so i kind of think that that's uh, it could possibly be a good pickup for them who knows um i guess we'll find out uh, if he can stay healthy i feel like he can be semi-productive in a utility role we'll see
1: yeah, I mean, I I think Romy Gonzalez is a big leaguer. Um, I understand why, you know, he a lot of struggles here fell out of favor quickly, I think because of, like, the way he was hyped up last year. But, I mean, watching that kid in the minors, I mean, he is a chiseled piece of rock. And, you know, it, that might, like be a disservice done to him right because he's probably maybe he's hurt a lot and you know he's had some rough times and it's a lot of strikeouts but look he can play literally everywhere um and he's got big time power and look he's gonna k a lot he can't play that often like he's he's not a guy that should play that much or he's gonna get exposed but i I think he could bounce around and, and find a spot somewhere i think he's one of these guys where if he got DFA would by Boston, he'd be picked up by, you know, he'd be one of those DFA limbo guys, right? Like he'd go from team to team to team and then, you know, hopefully settle in somewhere. But, you know, one of the themes of this show early, like that you and I had talked about was just, I feel like everybody had joked about all the like fungible space on the White Sox 40 man. Like, Oh, it shouldn't be that hard to make moves. Like all these guys are terrible type thing. And there was some truth to that. Right. But we're getting to the point where, I mean, there, there's some guys that, I mean, anytime a guy's added, you're going to have to DFA somebody. And a lot of these guys are useful pieces and some of them are on the 40 man because of their prospects and whatever. So, you know, if they make too many more moves, it's it's going to be interesting to see like which direction they go um, with who to like remove from the roster basically.
0: Yeah. And we'll get to one of those guys that uh, you and I had counted out later as a guy that we could just <laughs> launch in Alex Spees and, uh, we've got some video coming for you guys later on in the stream as we get into these deals here. Um, but, you know, it's going to be really hard for, you know, when it comes decision time for who they're going to get rid of. Now, personally, my feelings were that Gavin Sheets probably should have been launched before Romy Gonzalez just simply because even if you discount Romy's bat out of the equation because he did have uh, – an absurd strikeout rate around 30%, which, which I understand why people thought that that was a a big deal. But the thing is, is that defensively he can play almost anywhere except for, uh, I mean, even he even has a zero ERA in the major leagues now, Um, but he can't play catcher obviously. Um, But, you know, and he's actually a plus defensively pretty much anywhere you put him, as opposed to Gavin sheets. He's left-handed, but he's not That's truly, it, yeah. He's truly not a power bat. He's more a, a bat to ball guy, and he plays first base okay. But then they stick him in right field, which is absurd. And we've beat that. Yeah. Team.
1: So I mean, I heard you, you know, you guys on the big league version of this podcast last week kind of talk about Gavin Sheets a little bit. And look, I I interviewed Gavin Sheets years ago. I don't know if you know this, like, you know, I was the first one that he told about his move to the outfield, and I wrote a piece for Future Sox and. It, like, was not planned. I just had, like, some questions for him in 2020 when he wasn't at the alt site that I was covering, and he kind of, like, let that out, and me and Mike were like, well, geez, now I I should, like, write this because I'm the only one that has it, right? And, look, I applaud him for it, but there's no way that this general manager is going to play him in the outfield, and I've been telling people that for weeks. We haven't got into these players yet, but I think it's well established now. Some of the moves the Sox just made... I mean, they just like Gavin Sheets proof this roster, I feel like. I mean, it, I, I he just, it, it's really hard, Ian, because, like, even if he's on the roster, who are you going to sit for Gavin Sheets to play, right? Because he's not going to play against lefties, right? So if there's a righty on the mound, you'd have to play him over Andrew Vaughn or Aloy Jimenez. And I just, why would you do that? So I just, I don't really see a spot for him. I, I don't know how they'll nicely do it if it's just a cutthroat DFA and somebody else gives him a shot or if they keep him all the way through spring training. Because I, I think he might have one option. If he does, then it's easy. He's just the first baseman in Charlotte um, hitting nukes at that place. But, you know, it, which, which might be the best outcome, honestly. But I don't know. I don't know if you can keep him on the roster that long.
0: Yeah. I. To me, it seems like a foregone conclusion that, you know, with – the guys that they've brought in that he's not going to have any playing time. And, 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 you know, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, I've heard he's a fantastic guy, but you know, we're talking about a major league baseball team here and it's going to be struggling for offense. And so they need to find somebody. So.
1: Well, he's just, he's not comfortable playing the way that he needs to play to be a big leaguer. And I've always kind of said it, like even when he was coming through the system and me and Matt Cassidy would kind of argue about him because he loved the, the bat to ball skills and he's like, Oh, he's got, and I'm like, Matt, like this dude's got to hit 30 homers a year. Or he's useless. I mean, he he's first base only. And if he, you know, I, I'm fine with a 25% strikeout rate. If you're walking enough and you're going to hit, you know, 25 to 35 bombs from the left side. It's fine. But Gavin Sheets is not really fine playing like that. And I feel like he's been caught in between because of it. And I mean, what did he have? He had like a 61 WRC plus last year. I mean, this isn't, you know, I I mean, it's, it's just not, it's not enough, obviously.
0: Yeah. I think Romy had a 63 WRC plus. And um, also, you know, when you look back at the minor league stats, Romy showed more power ever than Gavin Sheets did. The only time Gavin Sheets really showed any significant power was his, uh, I think, his junior year at Wake Forest. When you look at that ballpark, uh, when you relate to college ballparks to you know park factors,
1: people mm-hmm. complain
0: about Wake Forest being a launching
1: pad. So, for sure, and we're going to yeah. have the same Nick Kurtz discussion in until July. Right. And that it just scares me to death. Like, I hope he goes in the top four. So that's all I'm going to say right now. We'll have a lot of draft shows later. But, yeah. So we don't have yeah. to talk
0: about it at all. Uh-huh. That yeah. would
1: be that would be ideal. Um, mm-hmm. So
0: uh, first meltdown of the week went uh, when Kevin Pillar was signed by the White Sox to a minor league deal. And, um, you know, some people didn't see right away that it was a minor mm-hmm. league deal, but it is a minor league deal. Um, what do you see in the signing of Kevin Pilar for the organization in total?
1: Well, I mean, I look, I think it makes more sense now after Saturday, right? I mean, when you see the guys they picked up, you know, I think in Dominic Fletcher, like everybody will get to him, but you know, like if, if that's Pilar as your fourth outfielder playing sometimes against lefties, like I, I don't hate it. He's not terrible. Um, he's not good. He's league average um against lefties for his career and now he's older but like look he can still defend we, we've talked about the gets plan here and that doesn't mean that chris gets doesn't understand that they need power hitters or they need but this year they are going to defend so i think it makes sense three million if he makes the team it's not my money i don't care but Look, I mean, even like, what was your alternative, Ian? Like, I heard people complaining, like, about Kevin Pilar. I'm like, would you rather play Kevin Pilar or, or Kevin Sheets in right field? Like, we were just talking about. And they clearly don't want to play Oscar Colas. So, yeah, I'm fine with this. I, I like the, the group of veteran outfielders in the NRI pile. And some of those guys will be in Charlotte and some will be released. And, but I mean, it's like, look, the the White Sox don't have enough top-end talent, right? That's that's a huge reason why they're probably going to win 60-some games. But, like, the the depth actually isn't that bad for once. Like, the, like, I like some of the NRIs and some of the, like, what they've done to, like, the back of the 40-man. Like, you know, I've, this is kind of some of the stuff I've been clamoring for for years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it only took, you know, six, seven years to finally yeah. start stockpiling some guys at AAA. And even last year... You know, they had uh Piscotti there, um, they had uh uh Victor Reyes there. I mean they had some guys in triple A, but the thing was is that we didn't have a right fielder in Chicago, yet those guys sat down there in triple A. So hopefully now uh we'll see. You know, obviously I don't want to see Brett Phillips out there. Uh you know, that's that is uh the equivalent to uh you know your stereotypical brewers, middle infielder of all glove Mm -hmm. and no bat, you know, and that's essentially what he is. And I don't, you know, nobody wants to see that. So um, we'll see what happens in right field. It should be, should be interesting
1: going into spring. Who's the other, who, who's the former cub that they signed that was decent for like half of a season? uh, Yeah, uh, I could look too. I, I should know his name
0: right now off the top of my head. But Uh, yeah,
1: like they have, they have him, they have Brett Phillips, they have Pilar. Um, they brought back Mark Payton, who, yep. look, I think will be very popular in the Queen City. Um, so, yeah, no, I think it's – I think Kevin Pillar has a uh, pretty good chance to make the White Sox club. But, you know, we'll see what else they do. And, uh, you know, they, they've they – I guess they've made that path, like, a little bit tougher and we'll, we can get into some of those. There it is from Beef. Beef knows. Beef. Rafael Ortega, <laughs> that's right. Um. So, look, I mean, he hits from the left side, too. So, I don't know what these two trades kind of do f- for his status, right? It, I almost feel like Chris Getz got all these NRIs signed and then, like, waited to make these two trades, like, before, you know. like So, it was kind of like, oh, make sure all these guys sign and then we'll make these trades after because they might not have signed here, like, prior to seeing these two guys. But, you know. Yeah. We can can get into it if you have nothing further on Kevin Pillar.
0: Yeah, that was kind of actually one of my thoughts earlier today. You know, when I was sitting here going in my head through all the guys that are minor league guys in AAA, all these outfielders that they signed, and knowing now that you have Dom Fletcher and Zach Deloach coming, plus they also signed Pillar, now you've got all these guys, you know, Mark Payton coming back from Japan, and he didn't have a good year last year in Japan. So, you know, it's like, what are we going to, you know, what are those guys going to do? It's just, you know, for certain that some of those guys are going to be looking for a job here in the near future.
1: Yeah. Well, and I do think they have like kind of prospects still now that'll be expected to play every day in Charlotte. Right. Like we kind of talked about this off air. I mean, like they're not going to get rid of Oscar Colas. So he's going to be playing right field or center field. Like, for the Knights. And I would imagine, you know, like I think Dominic Fletcher is going to be on the White Sox. I'm not so sure that Zach Deloach will be right away. So, I mean, he's in a corner, you know, you, I think you brought up Cespedes the other day. I mean, I, I don't know if he has oh. much value, but like, he's definitely got to play in Charlotte. So yeah, I mean, there there are some fringy prospects that are still going to be down there too. Like in addition to like a lot of these, like vet guys. So It'll be interesting. They're they're not horrible problems to have. Right. Like you're usually not able to like squint and fill out the night's outfield. So this will be a little bit different. It won't be Billy Hamilton um, playing 100 games in AAA for the White Sox.
0: Yeah, I'm used to having this issue with first base, but with the outfield, it's uh, foreign territory for me. Um, so I'm going to, I want to get this out of the way now. Uh, we've got a question from shy town on YouTube says, do you guys still anticipate a
1: Dylan cease trade or has get set the bar out of reach? Um, I mean, here's the thing. Like if they trade him within the next two weeks, I'm not going to be surprised because they clearly want to trade him. I don't know how much like Scott Boris is holding things up. Right. Because I, I'm not sure it was ever going to be Baltimore anyway, like after kind of reading what Bob Nightingale wrote. And for anybody that didn't see Bob Nightingale's notes today, they're usually pretty informative. He kind of said Baltimore was offering the White Sox a similar package to what they traded the Brewers plus another player. Now, what does that mean? Who knows? But, you know, if it's if if the other player was one of those big five that we've been talking about, I'm pretty sure that deal happens. So my guess is it's it's not that. And... Then I don't really blame Chris Getz for not making this deal. And then look, was he off was he asking for too much? I don't know, maybe, right? But I do still think there's potential for a Yankees, a Cardinals, somebody that just comes out of nowhere that just decides to trade for Dylan Seats because the White Sox clearly want to trade him. I just don't think they're afraid to have him start opening day and keep him till the deadline because they feel like they can get at the deadline, what they've been offered right now. And then we'll all just have to hold on to our butts and hope that nothing bad happens.
0: Yeah, I, that's pretty much where we're at, because um, had they traded Cease for the return that the Brewers got for Burns, uh, there would have been a riot. Um, I think that there at least had to be one more big prospect that was close, you know, in it, like a Heston-Kirstad or something, you know, closer to the major league's to get that that deal done for the White Sox and for sure, yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm perfectly fine with us staying pat if that was the return that was being offered. I don't, well, because they have,
1: like, they have other guys that I like, like Dylan Beavers or even like yeah. Enrique Bradfield or whatever. like you add one of those guys to that package, like it's I mean, it's not terrible, but that's just not enough of one high end guy, especially when like the top ranked guy is Joey Ortiz. I've had a lot of. Orioles fans and bloggers like follow me like the last whatever eight to ten weeks on Twitter and I think most of those guys are are pretty reasonable but they just you know they Joey Ortiz is is pretty valuable. But I had no real interest in him as part of like a White Sox package just because of like, I just feel like you should be able to find middle infielders that do that. Um, and he's 25 and look, I'm sure he'll start for the Brewers and, and he'll be fine. And he'll put up three war seasons like because of defense. But I just kind of wanted a little bit more than that in a Dylan Seas trade.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to... The first of the two trades that happened on Saturday, uh, Gregory Santos sent to the Mariners for Perlander Baroa, Zach Deloach, and a Comp B pick, uh, which will should be end up being uh, pick six nine six nine, um, and uh, we'll see uh, where where that ends up. And uh, do you want to go ahead and explain the Comp B pick before we move into uh, all this other stuff? <laughs>
1: Sure. I would love to. Um, I actually don't think it's going to be the sixth. I think it's going to be like pick 66 or 67. So one thing people have to keep in mind is the guys that are still available in free agency, Blake Snell, um, Bellinger and Chapman all have qualifying offers. So I guess if a team like a big market club signs, one of those guys that has to forfeit a second rounder, that pick kind of just like gets forfeited and then everything moves up. So, it has the potential to be like the 66 or 67th pick still, but whatever, like that's fine. Like the gist of it is yes, they're they're going to get another top 70 player in theory. Um, so we'll know like kind of what it feels like to be one of these small market clubs that has the extra pick. Um, the big deal is that it, it's probably like $1.2 million in bonus pool space. Um, their first rounder at fifth overall should be well over 7 million. Um, just to keep this as brief as possible. Like I, I don't think it's a, a great draft class. I think it's um, it, it's probably going to end up being like most of those teams at the top are going to try to go under slot, I would think. So it just opens up possibilities for you with the 43rd pick or the 69th pick to land a 3 or $4 million player, which is like a top 20 to 25 player in the draft class. So you should be able to get multiple guys. It's, it's pretty valuable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, the big thing to remember is it's not just about the player taken with the nice pick at number 69 it's uh the the bonus pool space that comes with it and i do like how chris gets talked about it on his media call and recognize the fact that hey you can do this and it's it's kind of cool that you can do it and uh you know it's a it's a nice sweetener like in a trade package
0: yeah agreed um so uh gregory santos shipped out uh there is a lot of outrage about the the amount of control that he had and the return on the on the package from the Mariners. Um, how do you feel about the amount, the value amount that they got back for Santos?
1: So I think when I first saw it, like, look, I'm a geek, right? So like I was excited about the draft pick right away. Um and then I didn't know much about Prelander Barroa, but I just assumed that he was a pretty big-time pitching prospect because, like, the return seemed a little light, I guess, for, uh, you know, for five years of Gregory Santos, essentially, and then Zach DeLoach, who, like, I had known of out of Texas A&M, but, look, I didn't follow him in the PCL. I didn't know, you know, like, the power surge that had occurred and what he'd kind of turned into, right? So I think it's an okay deal. I don't think there's, like a bunch more out there for Gregory Santos, or I think they would have pulled the trigger on it. Like, I love how people kind of like, oh, they should have got more. Well, I mean, they clearly didn't have more offered, and this was enough for them. You know, hat tip to Cherizi. I know Beef Loaf is listening. His tweet's the first one I saw that referenced Brian Bannister literally traded this dude in Boston, in San Francisco, and now in Chicago. So apparently it's not just Keenan Middleton who took offense to um gregory santos sleeping in the bullpen during baseball games so i don't i don't know i don't know what it is but you know the, they felt that he was expendable for whatever reason and look i'm always a fan of trading relievers trade him early because you know they're they're so volatile as chris gets also noted on the um on the conference call like i agree with that and uh so so i'm good with it i mean we'll get into Baroa. I think there's a non-zero chance that prelander Barrow is like as good as Gregory Santos at some point pretty soon. Right. And then you add the outfielder and the draft pick to it. So look, if people don't think it's enough, I totally understand the criticism. Um, But I, I think it's probably fine. Ultimately.
0: Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are not watching us on the stream and are watching in podcast form, uh, you can go back and watch this on this stream on YouTube. Uh, right currently, there is video of Perlander Baro- Baroa on the screen. And uh, it's showing, you know, essentially, like, what his stuff is. And uh, he's he's mostly a, uh, a slider and fastball guy. Uh, he does have a changeup, which does have some movement on it. And uh, I think that that will be one thing that they will be working on trying to improve on. Um, he did make his Major League debut uh, this July, I believe, with the Mariners. And uh, he did strike out... I think if I remember correctly, yeah, it was uh, Bo Bichette. He he struck out. Uh, He did allow a a run on a pass ball. But to be fair, uh, I put that uh, pass ball on Tom Murphy because he did an absolutely terrible job of going down to get it, uh, which it will come up here in a a minute here. Um, He was signed originally as an international free agent by the Twins, and then he was shipped to the Giants, which is where we get – our Brian Bannister connection. And I, I, it's been a theme here is that a lot of these guys that are getting picked up are Brian Bannister guys. Um, I would say that probably the first thing that they're going to be working on him with is, uh, working on his mechanics to keep them, um, consistent and repeatable. Um, other than that, uh, do you have any thoughts on, uh, you know, what you've seen out of the video and, uh, reviews of him from other places
1: well so i think it's interesting that he really broke out as a starter like in seattle okay so they they you know they made some changes to him and he really popped there so he started in 2022 and he was really good even with like no third pitch like it's a pretty bad changeup. And then they moved him to relief this year, and he was, like, even better. So he's got a plus-plus fastball and a plus-plus slider, which you've kind of talked about. I think there was some speculation yesterday I saw from some Seattle bloggers that maybe the White Sox would convert him back to the rotation. Chris Getz said, you know, they see him as a reliever, um, similar track record to Santos, upper 90s, top, you know, upper 90s, touches 100. Um, so, look, they, they think he's a reliever a potential high leverage one and probably soon. Um, so that's what this is. I mean, it, you know, two, two pitch reliever. The biggest thing with him is just like command and control. Um, he throws really hard, but it's a lot of walks. The numbers are pretty eye popping though. Um, you know, it's 101 strikeouts in like 60 some innings, which I mean is absurd, but you know, you can't, you can't walk people. So we'll yeah, they, we'll see we'll see what they're able to do with him. I don't know that he necessarily starts with the White Sox, but I think we definitely see him um at some point and probably pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I don't think that you have uh, you know, the movement that he's got on his on his slider um which is more of a, a downward movement uh as opposed to the the plane that a lot of people have gotten used to seeing which is the down and away, you know, uh running glove side for these guys. It's it's more it looks kind of almost like a sinker um but um yeah, I don't think that with the you know for a five foot 11 guy, the amount of torque that this guy generates to be able to hit 102 miles an hour is you know pretty insane. but like you did mention, and as you can see here on the video, part of the issue with him is that just the consistency with it and he walks way too many guys so uh that's obviously an issue um so the other, player picked up in that deal, Zach Deloach. He is a 6-foot, 200-pound outfielder. Uh, been playing, played mostly right field for the uh, the Rainiers of the PCL. And uh, in 2023, he slashed 286, 387, 481. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly, he was uh, 11th in OPS in the PCL which is a, a pretty big deal um, considering some of the prospects that are there right now. Um, just go ahead and bring up the video on him and show him squib one for an infield hit here real quick. Um, but uh, how do you see him fitting into the White Sox organization? You see him starting in uh, AAA this year?
1: Yeah, I think probably. Um, but, I mean, it, look, I think, you know, like with Ben Intendi kind of locked in in left field, like it, I think so. I think he's in Charlotte and he should mash there too. I mean, it's really, like I had a lot of people tell me that it's Pacific Coast League success, right? So you always have to kind of be careful with it. I remember, you know, when the White Sox traded for Matt Davidson and it was like, oh my God, look at this guy's numbers. And then he just kind of flopped or whatever, you know, because like everybody hits in the PCL. But I mean, like there are a lot of good prospects there because there's good farm systems that play there. And look, I don't really think what truest field or Like in Charlotte, I don't think it's much different. I mean, we have to kind of couch Charlotte numbers too. It's very similar because the places are launching pads. So, you know, one thing I'll say about the Loach, it it's too many strikeouts for him too. But he does walk. He's shown that he can control the strike zone, and he's definitely changed the approach to be more power oriented. So, like, look, I'm good with high strikeout rates if you're walking and hitting for power. I think that's been pretty well established. Um, I, I think he's made himself a big leaguer. He's hit 50 some minor league homers. So I think this, I think this is an interesting one. You know, there are some of the, um, the scouting reports from baseball America and other places think he's probably ultimately left field only because of a below average arm. Chris Getz said both corners. So, you know, we'll see. He did have a 900 OPS against lefties this year, but I, you know, I don't, I don't really think you want him facing lefties exclusively in the big leagues, which is what it would be. Like if he were up, I feel like in a, you know, the short side of a platoon from that side of the plate, which would be kind of weird. So yeah, I would imagine he's in Charlotte, but he's probably the first guy up.
0: Yeah. I, you know, the thing I look at, the thing that I saw the most is people complaining about the strikeout numbers for him and making fun of the fact that, Yes, he did have uh, 173 strikeouts in Triple A, which is you know obviously nothing to uh, sneeze at. That is a lot of strikeouts. But the thing is, is that he was also, I think, he was uh, second in hits in the PCL, and you know, eleventh in OPS, and uh, it, you know, his on base percentage was not bad at all. You know, so I don't know. Um, I think that uh, I. Personally, I I don't mind the pickup at all. I think that this is uh you know, he's obviously gonna be blocked in Seattle and he's not going to be getting anywhere near the starting, you know, outfield for the Mariners because, you know, look. <laughs> I mean just look at look at who they have in the outfield and I mean it's fairly certain that there's just no way he's gonna crack that
1: lineup. So um No, and one thing I'd be interested in is to see the amount of strikeouts where he was like caught looking because like even in like some of the scouting reports too, it says that he doesn't chase like that often, which I mean, you would assume that he, he does with 173 K's in triple a. Right. So I wonder how much of it is truly like he's sitting back forever wanting to walk, not being afraid to K like to improve his power. Right. Like how much of it is like he, he just takes close pitches and strikes out quite a bit. Um, you know, it might sound like excuse making or whatever, but I'd just be curious to know, like, what that looks like. Like, is he swinging through fastballs? Like, is he, you know, is it a lot of called strikes? I don't know. I could probably do that research, but I'm sure we'll, we'll hear about it. So,
0: yeah, I would have to look. Uh, I probably watched, like, I don't know, maybe 10 games of at bats ish around there. And, uh, the things that I saw, the stuff that he was having issues with was, uh, you know, there was some chase on higher breaking balls that he wasn't able to make contact with. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, standing around and watching, you know, so I I don't know. We'll see. You know, I, obviously, I'll have to see him for longer than just, you know, a quick like 35 at bats or whatever it was that I watched. Um, so, yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah, and he, I mean, he does have power. Like, I had kind of heard yesterday, like, people were underwhelmed, like, by like a corner profile, you know, of like another, like all defensive guy that gets has been prone to get right. But he doesn't really seem like that type of guy. I mean, he, he seems like he could even potentially sell out more and be, you know, like one of these all or nothing guys that's hitting 210 and selling out for power. So we'll, you know, we'll see kind of what he turns into.
0: Yeah. I think he's got the bat to ball to be able to do that, Um, you know, to be that uh, true three outcome guy. Um, and his eyes seems to be fairly decent. I think he had, like, almost 80 walks last year to to go with the 170 strikeouts. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's going to be, if nothing else, at least right field uh, between one of these guys is going to be hopefully taken care of. Uh, let's move on to the second deal that was made yesterday. And the White Sox sent starting pitcher Elijah Evans' favorite person, uh, Christian Mena, to the diamondbacks for outfielder dom fletcher um now here's the thing beef loaf's gonna love him because he's five foot six um there's gonna be some bullying going on there but uh 26 year old outfielder so he's a little bit up there in age um he was a 2019 comp b pick uh the 75th pick in the draft uh what do you have to say about dominic fletcher
1: so again, like, like I kind of like this guy. Like I, I was like I a lot of underwhelmed White Sox fans yesterday. And I don't know, like I was a little bit surprised, right? Because I'm like one of the members of the Christian Mena fan club. Like I remember on this podcast, like Ben Badler coming on, telling me and Mike Rankin that he's a sleeper, signed for 250K, quickly moved out of the complex and was awesome in a ball, like striking out guys with his curveball. But you know what? Like, the fastball just never really developed. And, like, is that a White Sox problem? Maybe. Does he go to the Diamondbacks and he's throwing 97 and we regret this thing forever? Maybe. But, but I mean, the fastball's been pretty consistently, like, 92, topping out at 94. You know, I, I think you've watched his actual games a lot more than I have, so feel free to chime in in a second. But this is, like, Christian Mena might be a number four starter and soon right so yeah like you're you're getting rid of a guy that's probably going to pitch in the big leagues um and he's probably going to pitch in the big leagues this year but it is for a need and Dominic Fletcher's you know also has 6 years of contract control is it a great fit in right field when Andrew Benintendi's your left fielder i understand that argument like you, you know you want more power out of right field but i don't think he's 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 small, but I don't think he's one of these tiny slap and dash guys. He just like that's not how he plays. And obviously, like we just had the Pacific Coast League discussion, but he's got forty two minor league homers. Like this isn't Nick Madrigal, you know. And I've seen some comps. I kind of like uh, Cole Calhoun is who he kind of reminds me of a little bit. A guy like that, or like a Josh Reddick. Look, the defense is going to be plus in right field. Chris Getz was asked a question from I think James Fegan on the uh the conference call just about like and it was a good question. It was about like targeting guys who a lot of their value is in center field when you already have like a superstar in center field like you know, does that kind of take away and Getz basically said no because you know if something happens and you have a center fielder right, so like I understand like the question for sure though, but I think White Sox fans are gonna like the guy because he's he's really fun, man. And he came up in a small sample and he helped a diamondbacks team that went to the world series. So I know, I know you like him too. And you've, you've seen a lot of his games. I, I understand, um, hoping that it was like somebody other than Mana that went like, I, I get that part of it, but I do think this guy's going to help. They've needed And they've needed outfield help for a long time. And he hits from the left side and he's always mashed right-handed pitching.
0: Yeah. Uh, I had mentioned yesterday that I watched him when he was with the Cougars here, you know, in, uh, in Geneva, right down the street from my house. And, uh, he was always one of those fan favorite type guys, you know, the guy could, he could hit the ball. He could impact the ball more importantly, you know, it wasn't just like, uh, a guy just slapping the ball to, uh, to the corner. You know, this is a guy who would put a hurt on the ball and that's, obviously something that uh, everybody was worried about thinking because he's five foot six that, you know, he's not going to impact the baseball, but he does. And uh, I've also seen a bunch of criticism of him having like a noodle arm. And that's not true. That's also not true. Uh, Guy's a, a plus outfielder. He goes and gets the ball. He can play center. He can play right. He can play left. He can play anywhere out in the outfield. And, and he's a plus defender. Also uh you know the, the Josh Barfield connection you know he's you know going to be a a plus uh personality guy for for the clubhouse I mean say what you want about that but you know they're trying to reestablish the culture here with the White Sox and it seems like that's basically what they've been picking up and that might be the entire reason that you know Santos was gone so I mean I, I like the deal personally. Uh, you know, I'm sad to see Christian Mena go. Uh, I really enjoyed watching him pitch, but the thing that you, that I, that I ran into was like you said, the fastball is an issue, especially as he starts getting up into uh, higher levels, uh, where guys have no problem catching up with 92, 93 up in the zone. Uh, that's a problem. And, uh, you know the curveball's fantastic, yeah. But if you, the the changeup doesn't come along a lot, it it's going to be even more of an issue as as he moves up into uh, AAA and then yeah. to major leagues. So,
1: so so, what do you think about this then from the Diamondbacks end? Like, I I know that look they have a loaded outfield with like a lot of similar type guys, right? But why? Like, do you think this makes sense for them? Like, it can they not? Can they not do somebody? I guess that's more of a sure thing than Christian Maynard. I guess like I'm a little bit surprised that this was the return, unless they really like him and you know we're just kind of wrong and he's going to help them quite a bit. I wonder how long they haggled over over this one, or if this was like an easy decision. Bannister kind of decided he liked some of the other similar guys better, or if this was a tough one for them. I don't really know. It's been kind of tough for me to figure out.
0: Yeah, see, I I think kind of the thing here is that they like Dom Fletcher, they like Christian Mena, and the White Sox like Dom Fletcher and also like Christian Mena, and I think it was just kind of one of those things where they're like, the White Sox know that they've got, you know, I, I know that he's younger and he has ascended up to AAA fairly quickly. Um, the, the thing that I wonder, though, is – Christian, do they feel that Christian Mena moved up to AAA just simply because there wasn't anybody standing in his way to keep him from coming up? Do they feel like he earned it? Do they feel like he is, you know, if he's in A this year, is he going to be a guy that they're going to want to bring up to the major leagues this season if they need, you know, is he next up? And I, I would have to say, having watched him I don't think that he's ready for that yet I think he needs some more time to marinate in the minor leagues and I think that the Mm -hmm. diamondbacks can give him that
1: yeah and I wonder if they not that they sold high right because I I think he's gonna pitch in the big leagues but I do not think Charlotte was gonna be kind to him like and I think there's other guys that are similar too. that do you like want to get out in front of this thing right I think like if Jake Eater's stuff is back, right, like, I think he'll be fine there. I think Nick Nostrini will be fine there. Jonathan Cannon's a guy that I worry about there. Like, Jonathan Cannon's a guy who, you know, if he's pretty good for the Barons, like, I'd consider like, hiking him to the big leagues and not even throwing very much in Charlotte, you know? So, I wonder if part of this calculus and Getz mentioned a little bit how and he didn't want to say that they built a surplus because, look, it's not like they have aces sitting around, right? But I do think they have a lot of back-end starting pitching prospect depth where they like a lot of guys and you got to give to get. And, you know, they, they found Christian Mena expendable, and maybe it's because they think Nick Nestrini and Jake Eater and Jonathan Cannon and, you know, the guys behind them are, are going to help them a little bit more or a little bit quicker, and they just, you know, they, they felt like this was good. Or it really stings, and they just, you know, they wanted Dominic Fletcher really bad. I, you know, I, I think we'll find out because I do think both of these players are going to be in the in the big leagues probably by mid season.
0: Yeah, I think the important thing for them was after, you know, uh, one, you know, going back to that cease trade, uh, the thing that I wonder is that when that trade was made for Burns, if they felt that they weren't going to get the outfielder that they wanted from the Orioles, that they just decided to move on and make these trades and mm-hmm. try and at least bolster the off, you know, the outfield a little bit, even if it's not the, the kind of, you know, ceiling talent that they're looking for.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, bringing me back to that, like we, you know, we talked about cease a little bit earlier. I feel like if a cease trade happens now, it's going to be pitching heavy. And, and I wasn't sure that it was going to be, if it was earlier in the off season, maybe it's, like a close to the majors pitcher and prospects, right? But I'm not as sure that it'll be like a close to the big leagues guy. Cause I was thinking, you know, if it was Baltimore, I thought that's where your right fielder was coming from, but now they might make a different type of deal. I don't know. It's kind of, kind of interesting. And you know, at the deadline, like if it were at the deadline, you just take as much talent as you can get, right? Like wherever. So, but I do think it opens up the Yankees potentially because they have, they, they have pitching to offer.
0: They do have a couple of guys in their, uh, you know, in their top 10 that I do like that are pitchers. And I mean, ultimately, you know, personally, you know, I would like to, you know, I I know there's no shot that they do this, that, you know, Dominguez, there's no way they're going to get rid of that guy. And, but the thing is, is that, you know, he's hit or miss too. You can see him sometimes where he looks good and you can see him other times for, you know, you know, the same stretch where he could just kind of disappear. And, uh, yeah. But at least he would be, at least the Martian would be interesting. Um, so I wanted to move uh, past these deals here. Uh, I think we've exhausted about what, you know, what we've got on those so far. Uh, and I wanted to move along to a couple of the guys that we haven't really, you know, one got signed uh, this past week and uh, and the other one is the guy who we talked about earlier, which was Alex Spees. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and move us back to the, uh, to the video here and, uh, bring up some, uh, 110 uh, video here. And, uh, obviously if you look, it's, it is pouring rain out there. So obviously not the best conditions, but I just pulled something, uh, really quick just so we could talk about him. Uh, we saw him with the Mariners last year. Uh, that's who we, that's who we, poached him from, uh, six, six foot one, 26 year old, uh, international free agent in 2016. He was traded to the Yankees, brought back to the Mariners, uh, a little bit later. He is a sinker and slider guy Throw I think he throws about 46, 47% sinkers and, uh, like 30% sliders. And, uh, the change in the fastball are big, big secondary, you know, like in the way back, um, the one thing about him is, you know, I haven't seen anywhere uh, in the minors, and he made it all the way up to, you know, Major League Baseball with the Mariners, and I have not seen anything out of Juan Ten that makes me think this was a guy that they should should grab, but uh, seeing that they're dealing guys out of the bullpen, I'm assuming that that's probably why they picked him up. Any ideas? I mean, I I think probably the sinker, you know, the fact that he's a, a sinker type pitcher and they just got rid of uh, Declan Cronin and he signed. He was another sinker guy. So they probably want to get that that uh, pitch profile back into uh, the bullpen. But that's about all I can see out of it.
1: Yeah. And, he's, you know, you just add him to the pile of guys. I mean, I feel like we talked about their non-roster invites and they haven't been announced yet. I think they've kind of trickled out, you know, like individually. They have quite a few bullpen arms on there and some of those guys are going to be on this baseball team. Um I don't know that Juan Ten necessarily will be. Um but you know, I mean, we'll see, right? It's always like a battle in spring training and worst-case scenario, he's he's going to be in Charlotte and that's a it probably is a worst-case scenario for him cuz yeah. That place is brutal, but you know at least, at least he's a sinker baller
0: yeah uh yeah that's 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 true you know hopefully you can get some ground balls out of that but uh you know again we'll see um so moving along so the guy that we had uh ready to cut off for dead off the 40 man roster uh Alex Spees now I've gone back you know this he was like a, just a kind of a like oh where'd this guy come from for me uh months okay. ago. And uh, I just now just went and looked through, mm-hmm. you know, like what his deal
1: is. And he's fairly yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, he, th- he throws absolute fire. And I had no idea. <laughs>
0: yeah. 102 miles an hour. Um, I'm going to show some, uh, some, some video here um, in this game here uh, in, in his major league debut for the Rangers last year, uh, he hit, oh, I believe he hit 100 uh, during that game. Uh this, particular uh initial one that i'm showing here is the uh the is that the uh rough riders against the rainiers i think i think that's what it is um and uh it's alex Spees and the the funny thing here is the 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 way that i found this was uh zach deloach is on the rainiers and so i was like oh that's alex Spees throwing to zach deloach and uh Spees does end up winning that uh, winning that battle gets uh, Deloach to pop to left field, but um, so he was a second round pick by the Rangers in 2016. Uh, he ended up having uh, Tommy John in 2018. and so he was out for like the back half of 2018 and then spent all of 2019 rehabbing, and then he lost all of 2020 with the lockdown and the baseball season going away. And so he came back in 21 and then he decided to take 2022 off and just disappeared. Uh he comes back in 2023 and adds a cutter and uh now he looks pretty stinking good, especially with that velocity. I mean, he has elite velo. He's 6 foot 3 uh, and 20 uh 26 years old I think. So, um this is something to watch out for, you know, especially with people worried about uh, Gregory Santos disappearing. It looks like we might have, between him and Perlander Baroa, we might have two guys that might be able to take over at least somewhat in that type of role. I'm not saying that they're going to get 100th percentile, uh, you know, barrel rates, but uh, there might be somebody that is at least worth putting out on the mound.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, look, he was a second-round pick out of high school, right, I believe? Yep. Um. So, so I'm sure, you know, there was, like, starter upside at one point, but, you know, now it's pretty much just throwing fire out of the bullpen. And, look, he's going to get an opportunity with this White Sox team, obviously. This is a guy that I'd keep an eye on, you know, just as far as, like, an opening day bullpen spot because when your stuff is this good, you have a chance. I will say, I don't know if Beef Loaf is still listening, I hope that he's good enough that next year in the 108 mock trades, they the they have Brian Bannister trading this guy for three prospects next off season. Like so, that would be that that would be a wonderful path for for Alex Spee's This was kind of quiet. Do you have the like the claim date on this? It just seems like Texas is so good. You know, they kind of ran out of forty man space and let him go. I feel like it was early. It was like November when you know, or maybe even earlier than that. So. Yeah, and the I White Sox quietly, yeah. quiet, quietly put a claim in, and he was on the 40.
0: Yeah, I, th- I want to say that it was in September or October. Okay, yeah, uh, so even I think, earlier. I think it was uh, – Beefus says he's still listening. Um, yeah, so okay. – and, like, yeah. the thing here is this is his Major League debut, and as you just saw right there – I'll go ahead and rewind that real right quick. Uh, his, the first batter that he faced in his pro debut was Wander Franco, struck him out, struck out Yandi Diaz, and then you've got this pitch coming up here uh the next pitch i believe against Randy Rosarena, where he just fools him so bad that he throws his his bat down the third base line uh there there's clearly something here with him and the fact that he got brought up uh says that there is something to to look into um that right there was a uh a five uh a five out save or a it was uh one point, yeah maybe it was just one uh one and two thirds innings, but um no hits, no walks, just throwing gas out of the pen looked great, so
1: yeah, and it's you know so these are the type of moves that the giants have have been making quite frankly for the last like three to four years, like with and look i I know like we keep going back to Brian Bannister, right, and I know that. Chris Getz was not our choice. He wasn't really anyone's choice. And I understand that. Like, and I've also tried to point out that that doesn't mean that he's going to be terrible at this job. I know we're not allowed to say nice things, right? But like the Brian Bannister hire was big and I kind of like what I've seen and heard from Josh Barfield. Other than that, I don't really know, but you know, those are two guys from outside the org that I trust that are in the general manager's ear. So, You know the pitching decisions have been interesting, and I think you know it's just something to monitor going forward. I just I don't think anything happens without that guy's approval at this point.
0: Yeah, Uh, you know I mean I wanted to get into this just briefly here before we before we call it a night. Um, The amount of roster churn that has happened in such a short time. Uh, I think we were talking about this yesterday. something like eighteen spots on the on the forty man have been turned over um, This gives me optimism that at least something different is being done than what was being done. I don't know whether it's going to be successful uh but I'm definitely here to see that there is some changes. How do you feel about yeah. the the current roster
1: the same I mean like i I just, I mean, look, like, they're, it's not a good baseball team. But I think we've said for years, like, guys, they never churned out the bottom of the 40-man roster, like, ever. And it, like, it, it was even, like, a criticism of mine, like, during the rebuild. Like, they were supposedly rebuilding, and they're not even taking chances on anybody. It was just, you know, their same bad minor league guys that they just played. And look, it wasn't the end of the world. Like, they were losing on purpose. But, like, you'd still kind of like to find some guys. And th- this is... This is what you should be doing. You think a guy's interesting? Claim him. Great. And then if ultimately you have to DFA him later because you like somebody better, fine. But you should be doing this stuff all the time. Now, you know, we're getting to the point where Lenin Sosa, Jose Rodriguez, guys that people have heard of that we kind of like a little bit, like, I mean, you know, they're on the 40 bubble here pretty soon because there's some guys that, you know, you're just not going to be willing to get rid of. But look, I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon. If you look ahead to next year, you know, like, depending on what happens with some of the veterans, Yohan Mancada, Eloy Jimenez, the team could look even more different than this. I mean, you could be up to 25 or 30 new names just pretty quickly with, like, a $40 million committed, I think, next year. Um without any additional moves. So Chris Getz said that he didn't like the team very much. Um, I, I don't, I think he was being, I think he was being honest. Um, I don't think his owners letting him spend very much money. And we'll, we'll talk more on the podcast just about his strategy to fix the defense. Cause it's probably the cheapest thing to fix. Right. But, um, you know, I think there's been a lot of positives so far. Um, even if it doesn't end in like a great big league season. Yeah.
0: I, you know, it's kind of like Major League where, you know, they can go into any restaurant with their American Express card and nobody realizes who they are, you know, and uh, I think it's going to be like that for, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, uh, minus a couple of the bigger guys.
1: But that's even like their biggest free agent signing in franchise history could walk the streets of Chicago and nobody would have any idea. Yeah, like especially. Seeing when you Monday. saw Andrew, Be- yeah, oh, for sure. When you saw him like at the Boys and Girls Club or whatever, and he's just like this tiny person, you're like, oh my goodness! Like, it's uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think many people could pick Andrew Benintendi out, like, if they saw him like walking down Lake Michigan, uh, or, he could walk w- down you know, the Michigan Avenue
0: during the game, and nobody yeah. would have with, any with idea his, who he was with his jersey on. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that guy kind of looks like him. Uh, yeah. Anywho, so uh. You got anything else for this week? Are you uh you good?
1: No, I th- I think we pretty much covered it. Well, you know, like what do you think of I guess I do have one more thing. Robert Murray, I don't know if he's doing the agent a favor. Dominic Smith, did you see that? White Sox are one of the does that make any sense? Not to me. <laughs> is that is that a minor is that a minor league deal? Like I
0: you know, you know who,
1: I you know who doesn't want to see Dominic Smith on this team? Gavin Sheets. Gavin Sheets, yeah. Yeah, he he does not want that to happen. So
0: Yeah, no. I the first the first time I saw that I was like okay, but why? <laughs> like I just don't
1: understand. Yeah. I mean it's yeah. like haven't
0: we had this same guy on the roster for the last six years and tried to get rid of most of them? And it just Well doesn't at least make he sense. hits at
1: least he hits left handed, right? But that's the only thing. So yeah. But look, if it's a minor league deal, I, I don't think there's any bad minor league deals. Um but yeah, like a big league deal wouldn't really make any sense. So Yeah, NRI, sure. Perfect. You know, like that works
0: out, you know, and if he ends up making look uh making Gavin Sheets look terrible, great. But I mean, realistically, they are the exact same player. Except for maybe Dom Smith maybe is a has a little bit more power. You know, at this point in his career, like you know, 5 years earlier, mm-hmm. sure, you know, but yeah. now uh, I don't really see any difference pretty much whatsoever. Uh, both of them are not great defenders. Uh, both of them are bad in the outfield. Both of them are left-handed, and both of them are going to probably end up hitting like 230, you know? Yeah. So so what you're saying is they're definitely going to sign them. Probably, you know. I, I At least, you know, they said that they were going to make people work for their roster spots. So maybe that is – you know, even if the guy coming in looks like the exact same player, just to have like some some movement there and mm-hmm. if they can gain a little bit of uh expertise, a little bit of experience, uh, a decent clubhouse yeah. guy, if he is one, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know anything about Dom Smith other than, you know, looking at his baseball card and baseball savant. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, and obviously, look like we're we're running a little bit long, but it's our show, and I don't really care. Just I guess one one more thing before we go, like that, there's there's been a lot of reports just about how the floodgates are probably going to open this week a little bit with some of these some of these position players and just some of the guys that aren't signed. I I don't think that includes the Boris people, but all your other guys, your Jorge Solares and Tim Andersons, and look when you look at the free agent list, like there's a lot of useful players that are still available. So I do think we see a lot of action this week. Does anything else really make sense to you for the whites? Do they need to add somewhere? Is it you just sit back and see if something comes to you? I don't even know what the spot would be. Maybe, maybe infield pushing Nikki Lopez to the bench. But other than that, I don't, you know, I don't really know what makes sense other than more, more pitching maybe. But that seems to be kind of set right now too. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing
0: is that they've been slowly picking people up this entire time, and it, it hasn't been anything that's been, uh, you know, really anything to to write home about. You know, it's been a bunch of guys that are making, like, very, very small contractual amounts of money or, you know, minor league deals, and uh, you can cut them loose. Um, I don't know. It was like things when things kind of started up with that whole Aaron Bummer trade right off the bat – it was like it started filling up some of the needs that this team has had for a long time. The unfortunate thing is is that all the guys that were supposed to be ahead of them in the pecking order are gone or not any good. So yeah. that, you know, that kind of – like, yes, they need a lot, but are they going to go out and spend any money on any of these guys? Or do they feel like any of them are worthy of spending a lot of money on? I don't know. And, I you know – short of the Boris clients, you know, is there somebody out there that's really going to improve the team a whole lot? I mean, I guess Jorge Soler sort of would, but the thing is, is that, you know, if you can't get rid of Eloy, right. You've got two Eloys because neither one of them can play the outfield fairly well. And, uh, you know, one of them has hit 40 home runs, I guess, which is (laughs) something that the other guy is not, but I mean, you know, if you can't get rid of Eloy, you know, you got to wait until the end of the year unless you feel like keeping Jorge Soler for a longer period of time is worth it, which I I just don't. Um
1: Yeah, I to- I totally agree with that. Like if they had traded Eloy somewhere for two prospects or whatever, I'd be totally on board upgrading and you you do the the Jorge Soler thing. But right now, yeah, it's just there's just not space and they're not going to be good anyway. So you know maybe we we might not see very much else happen other than you know if they if they make more trades
0: yeah i mean i at this point i think that if they're doing anything at this point it's just going to make things incrementally better better i guess is the way i would put it, it it's not anything that's really going to change what this team is you know and i i feel like they need to cut the dead weight after the end of the year, you know, whether that, you know, it's probably going to be Yoan and Eloy are probably both going to be on their way out if they don't have, you know, MVP caliber seasons. So uh, at this point, I, I'd i say I wouldn't really expect a whole lot from the White Sox unless they manage to trade one of those guys out of here. That's the only way that I see anything major for the White Sox is if they get rid of Cease, Eloy, or Yohan, and that's, that's pretty much, or, or Benintendi for that, for that fact. You know, I had mentioned that yesterday that I don't see anything happening in the outfield with those two guys that they got yesterday. You're going to have one or the other. You're not going to be able to get the other one up there unless Ben Benintendi has gone and he's, you know, s- scheduled to make another
1: $60 million. So, you know, we'll see, but I doubt it. <laughs> yep. I doubt it too. I think, I think this is, this is probably pretty close to the team. So, you know, and then we'll start talking about the, you know, some of the prospects that'll get an opportunity in spring training. And if they can force any of these guys out of there and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of go from there.
0: I agree. All right. So future you can find an article that will be popping out by James Fox here on the other side. Uh, tomorrow, I believe it's coming out tomorrow.
1: Yeah, it'll be out Monday, and then I am gonna do I'm gonna do a mock draft this week too, and then we have the, you know, we have the 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 other minor league pod and a and a big league version later on this week as well. Yes, we do. Um, you can find all of the written
0: content over there. Uh, you can find our link to Patreon if you feel like uh, being nice enough to uh, help us uh, do the work that we do here. Um, you can find uh, at Future Sox on Twitter. My name is Ian Eskridge at Daily White Sox on Twitter. James Fox at James Fox 917 on the other side. Um, you can find this on YouTube in podcast, uh, audio-only form, or video form. You can also find this in our Twitch video section on twitch.tv slash futuresocks. Um, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. You guys have a great week. We will see you guys next week at 8 p.m. on Sunday. Thank you so much. Have a great night.